Rockers. Welcome to Hoosier Illusion, hosted by me, Neil Tafflinger, and Ryan J. Downey, two grown-up hardcore punks, longtime journalists, and longtime friends born and bred in Indianapolis, Indiana. After growing apart, we're reuniting to talk about who we were, who we are, and where we're going. Follow along as we navigate the rugged terrain of our mental landscapes, littered with pop culture, subculture, and the odd reference to Johnny Ringo, James Dean, Axl Rose, and other notable Hoosiers. In this episode, Neil tells me the story of his very first band, including his a cappella audition singing a Stone Temple Pilots song in a parking lot. Episode 10. There was a little gap between episode 8 and 9, and between episode 9 and 10. And for that, we apologize. But getting 10 episodes out since what, late June? And it is currently late August. Um, it's pretty not good. Bad. It's not bad. Could it's be almost worse. every week. It's almost every week. We're going to try to be every week, but we're almost every week. Almost weekly, you know, Entertainment Weekly just switched to monthly without changing their name. So there's that. There's a magazine called Entertainment Weekly, and it <laughs> is now published monthly. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember when comics were so popular that some of them went bi-weekly? I remember there was like a, a, a period in... Superman, where there were like multiple Superman titles, and like some of them came out every other week. Yeah, I remember. I remember the multiple titles of the same characters. Like I, I, I there was one. There was one period in time where I felt like I couldn't keep up with X Men spinoffs. Like, yeah, it was like X Men, New Mutants, Alpha Flight. Like all these related things that I was just like Excalibur. You know, like, Oh Jesus Christ! Yeah, was, oh, I I think I forgot to, I think I forgot to send you the the picture. But this was like this was a pop curse uh, moment I had at Target where I was walking down the aisle, and there was literally a guardian figure from Alpha Flight, and I was like, <laughs> I, I I foretold like years ago I was talking to Garrett, and I was like, at some point in the future. Marvel will have a channel and I'll be watching Alpha Flight shows with my son and I'll be paying like five or ten bucks a month for it. You'll and be... in twenty twenty two that will actually come to fruition. Yeah, man. Wait, who do you who do you think they're gonna cast as Puck? I don't uh Hugh Jackman, maybe. Uh, <laughs> but, uh... Man, are you recording? Because yeah, this should I, be I, I am I am bonus I, content. I am recording, and that is a uh Man, and that's a great callback to the Fox era where they're just like, yeah, this tall, skinny guy is Wolverine, sure. Which, you know, he ended up loving and owning the character, and God bless his portrayal, but still too tall 
Can't get around yeah. that. They could they could they really could have done some Hobbit force perspective stuff with them. <laughs> the uh, yeah the the best part of that Guardian figure package was that it's one of those figures where if you buy five of them they all come with extra parts oh, yeah. that makes another big character. I love those. Yeah, well, the one that you buy to construct was Wendigo. Wow. Yeah, I'm Fucking like, we're in, the, we're in deep water now. We're in very deep water. The Guardians of the Canadian Galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, the save, Wendigo. Save that as a title. Do you think Wendigo went off with the Hulk characters to Universal? Ooh, was it that's... Wendigo sort of like a Hulk related yeah. character? Well, was there? No, that was Wolverine versus Hulk. Was yeah. there like a Wendigo versus Hulk thing? I want to say there was. Yeah, and and I and Wolverine, you know, uh, made his first appearance in an issue of the Hulk. Yeah. Um. Huh. Was Wendigo in that same? Okay, I just Googled Wendigo Hulk, and the Google suggestion was Wendigo Hulk Wolverine. Oh, okay, so I yeah. Think, I think that might have all been the same. Oh, yep, yeah, yeah, same yeah, issue. because Wendigo was, like, attacking villages in Canada, and Hulk and Wolverine were both hunting him and ended up fighting each other. Is that what it was? So here's the cover of Hulk 181, which I believe is technically the second appearance of Wolverine, because Wolverine appears... In like the last panel of the issue before the one he's on the cover. But here's the cover and it says the Incredible Hulk and now the Wolverine. He's here, the world's first and greatest Canadian superhero. (laughs) I mean, I suppose you are the greatest if you're the only. You're literally introducing him and you're saying he's first. And then below that, it says, and the survivor of their epic battle must face the Wendigo. Ah. So there you go. That's why I'm associating him with the Hulk. This is great bonus hashtag content. Oh, Canada. Oh, no way, dude. We're, we already started Hoosier Illusion episode 10. This is a, <laughs> this is the pop curse pop podcast universe <laughs> crossover. <laughs> uh, so we, we talked about, we talked about talking about our <clears throat> first bands because our first bands were not the bands that people know us for. And you have the benefit of being known primarily for the best band that you were in. <laughs> yes. Whereas I am primarily known for the third or fourth best band that I was in. <laughs> uh, and the, the, your second your second credit, I guess, if if we're writing the obituary uh, for Ryan J. Downey, the second band that will get mentioned was Hardball, which was not your first band, correct? It was not, and Hardball is a band in the in myself mythologizing. The idea of it is a lot cooler than the execution was. So there's like there's like an element of like much like the superhero movies that we're discussing. <laughs> yeah, there's an element of hardball that because of the time it existed in, the place it existed in, the people it involved, the imagery, like it's not as embarrassing to me as it once was. In fact, in, in some ways it's sort of cool. I mean, I put together a hardball anthology in the not too distant past, a couple of years ago, uh that collected 
The collected hardball. <laughs> the collected hardball. It collected the... We had a demo and a 7-inch were like the quote-unquote official releases. And I took those, uh, some songs from compilations, an unreleased version of the 7-inch that had some different songs and different versions of songs, and then a kind of hardball-adjacent post-hardball band that I just sort of retconned into being hardball songs. Uh, so that's all that exists on Bandcamp. And I mentioned this because I uh, put it in front of Dwid back around the time that I had Dwid on the No Prize from God podcast. And him and I were talking about the early days and he and I first meeting and first becoming friends and all of that going back to the early 90s and Die Hard and then the Integrity demo and Hardball. And obviously, integrity has continued from then till now. And anyone who cares about the hardcore world, punk subculture, metalcore, what have you, would be familiar with integrity, which includes me. Whereas Hardball, he was familiar with at the time, but the band didn't continue on and isn't some like, you know, grandfathered big brothers tell their little brothers about band. So, <laughs> yeah. DeWitt hadn't listened to it since 1990, you know? So I put the anthology in front of him and he came back to me and he was like, you know, this is way different than I remember it. He's like, this, this has like elements of like Christian death and Sam Hain and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, at the time I was so about trying to like make this hardcore band that was like, you know, judge and Cro-Mags and hardcore stuff that I was discovering that was around at the time that I didn't recognize that being like white trash metalheads who were weaned on thrash and new wave and, you know, all, all the things that actually made us ourselves were actually unique and cool. And in retrospect, uh, it's weird. And we were actually more along the lines of like what Dwid was making with integrity. But at the time I was like, you know, kind of embarrassed by all those facets of who we were because it wasn't the, you yeah. know, whatever pristine presentation of hardcore that I wanted it to be. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. as a result, who whole... you were was cooler than who you were trying to be. Exactly. And I didn't know that. And and now in retrospect, it's like that stuff's uh, far less embarrassing. But yeah. And I, I, I realized very recently that, you know, my favorite parts of doing Burn It Down were the relationships that I developed that persist to this day that sprung from that. And, you know, working through some things that we'll be working through more on Hoosier Illusion from my childhood and so on and the lyrics and the performances and certainly my camaraderie and family squabbling, but ultimate love for the other people that were in the band. But I recognized recently that the greatest thing and whatever legacy there is for Burn It Down was that it foreshadowed the gates of slumber. Uh, Jason McCash being a pivotal player in that and Carl Simon who was briefly the tour manager for Burn It Down and just th that circle of friends and, and Bob the drummer from Burn It Down was, was in and out of Gates of Slumber for a couple of different records and tours um, that you know that's a monumental important rightfully acclaimed band in the metal world certainly in the doom metal world and records that I love and still listen to and I like feeling that Burn It Down had any sort of fingerprints there vis-a-vis -vis our association. Uh, so that's kind of the cool legacy there. But yeah, but we're going to talk about on Hoosier Illusion, 
aren't the bands that we're known for by anyone who knows us from bands. We're going to talk about the secret, secret knowledge, as you like to say. Yeah. As it ties into our origin stories of our <laughs> actual first bands. Yeah. Which include, I mean, for me, the, the, as you say, the fingerprints, the fingerprints of, of hardcore were on my earliest experience of playing. And also my first experience of playing music relied, or I guess was, was related to, or, or reliant on a decision my dad made that allowed a part of my life to exist much more easily. Maybe it would have existed either way, but it, he definitely facilitated me playing music and getting involved in that world in a way that I don't think very many parents would. So that's part of my complicated history with my dad, which is um, ever, ever since my early teen years, I've, I've not had the relationship with him that I wanted, but I also understood that he cared very deeply about me and wanted me to be successful at what I wanted to be successful at. Go on. <laughs> so it's, it's embarrassing to say that this is like the, the timeline is hazy now um, because I was oh God, like 14, 15 back then. Um, but I was, my parents went to uh, a relatively large, not large by today's standards church, but uh, a church uh, just south of where we lived called Meridian Street United Methodist. Yeah, so, and, so you don't mean a church with uh, a light show? No stadium a, seating. No, no, no band that sounds like Coldplay singing yeah. worship songs. Yeah. Yeah. No. No, no coffee shop in the lobby. No, no gymnasium, uh, no four-story uh, tree realistic play set for kids. Um, <laughs> not it wasn't it wasn't the aircraft carrier of churches. Um, but I was I was less involved in the church and more involved in the youth group because there was the, the that church youth group was like like hashtag squad. There were like four kids, five kids whose families were actually members of the church. And then there were like 50 kids who came from schools around the neighborhoods that we lived in because they were friends with people like those four or five kids knew like they had friendship nodes that would like attract clusters of kids. So it was just like this big sprawling group of people that I had really close relationships with. And somehow through that I started hanging out with uh, a couple kids and I say kids literally because we were children back then who were playing music together, a guitar player, a bass player, and a drummer. And all of them were, I thought pretty talented at, you know, for, for how old we were, 14, 15. Um, and they were playing like, parties like junior high parties that didn't have a singer but they basically would play the split lip seven inch instrumental which i guess is even more impressive now because they did passable covers of a record that was i can't even think of the word now what's the what's the what's the word for like a a very young musician who's gifted uh prodigy prodigy yeah like 
I not, always thought not it was to be confused with the fire starter. Yeah, no. Although Split Lip did did start a fire with that seven inch. Um, yeah, sorry. Uh, <laughs> but so, you know, I I thought of Split Lip as prodigies because they were a couple years, you know, four years at the most older than us, but they were fucking shredding back then, and that was before it was normal for kids to be in high school playing and recording at such a high level. Now I feel like it's like, I feel like every suburban high school has a metalcore band that was that right now is as good as like the professional hardcore metalcore bands were 20 years ago. Yeah. But they were to your point, they were particular for our area. In that moment, it was, it was it was insane for me to hear high school kids playing like that. Yeah, um, and the, the, like the, I, the drummer I, especially was the same way. Like those those yeah. two in particular, that guitar player and that drummer, they were right. something something special musically. And the rest of them had a lot going for them, performance wise, passion wise, uh, charisma wise. Um, but those two in particular were like, yeah, I, I list players I, when they were like fourteen. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I texted you this several weeks ago when I was revisiting this, the 7-inch again, as I do every couple months, and I said, like, it's a lightning bolt. Like, it literally just shocks you, and it, it had a type of energy that I don't think they ever recaptured, for better or worse, maybe because they didn't quite know what they were doing, but it was it's a fucking lightning bolt of a record. So, so yeah, so there were these three guys, and they were obviously aware of what was happening uh, in terms of local music because, but that's how we understood at the time. It was like local bands. So split lip was this lightning bolt from the sky, but also we, we liked Nina foundry and proper burial and, you know, all the other bands, planet earth. There were a lot of really good, interesting bands happening at the time. And it, split lip was like adjacent to them. So we didn't quite understand how they were different, just that they were a little bit. So at any rate, they were playing this music and they didn't have a singer. And I sang, I sang my whole life and I liked singing and I fancied myself a front man back then. And my, my mortifying admission that I've never, I've never told anyone is that I had, I think I'd brought up the idea of like, well, you know, do you want a singer? Do you need a singer? Cause I, you know, we were all friends and I was hanging out with them a lot. And I was like, well, you have this empty space, uh, in the band. So <clears throat> I ended up singing acapella in a parking lot in Broderpool when we were all hanging out a stone temple pilot song. Wow. Yeah. That's and, pretty awesome. Yeah. And you know, I have to say for, you know, a 15 year old kid, I did a fairly passable uh, acapella version of, of a Stone Temple pilot song. And they're like, cool, we're into it. So then we like started practicing. And the first thing Wait, that we did. Sorry, which song did you sing acapella? Um, oh, God. Was, I, it, was it time to take her home? Early? I'm trying to think of what was like that. Uh, something, something from Core or Purple, I'm going to guess. Uh, yeah, it was definitely from. I like imagining you. I like imagining you singing "Big Bang Baby" acapella. <laughs> <laughs> um, doing doing the moves. It was from Core, and probably Plush. 
uh, that was, that track was listing. The, the song. While you're looking for the track listing, maybe I'll mention the time that I interviewed Wyland Slash and Duff McKagan at the first ever Velvet Revolver show for their first ever MTV News interview. I need to revisit that because that band because second records okay first record is really great with some really great songs and i would recommend in revisiting that band to go find some of the pro shot european festivals when they were touring the second record awesome and they did guns and roses and stb songs and their own songs and they were pretty on fire They, they definitely they had their moment have we talked about my theory that if Audio Slave existed in a vacuum, they'd be considered one of the best bands of that era. No, but I could see that. Is it Plush? Yeah, it was probably Plush. That was my guess. I bet it was. That yeah, was I mean that was yeah. the that was the song. That yeah, that was the, the big hit from that one. Yeah, so yeah, I guess I must have been like thirteen, fourteen, based on that being brand new. So you know, we're like eighth grade freshman year and we practiced in the basement of the drummer's house on Meridian street. They, the guitar player and the drummer went to school together with a lot of the kids that I went, those in this youth group with the bass player, I think went to a junior high in uh, Washington township, not IPS. And the first thing we did was, do covers of split lip seven inch with vocals this the seven inch plus evolution i think and after that we started writing songs of our own um the band was i think at at that point we started calling it flatline which is terrible and awesome (laughs) And, and at some at some point there was like a folder where i had written flatline but done it in the original endpoint font design like with the endpoint and the arrow through it because i was i was in my transition from tool pantera hesher to hardcore kid it was like the beginning of that transition so i was listening i was listening to hardcore stuff but i also was like my walkman was going from like tool opiate to a dubbed copy of bringing it down and i wasn't really i hadn't i hadn't given up on the music that i loved originally in favor of hardcore yet once again i'll say with love and hate hardcore ruins lives yeah go on i I lost a lot of good years and missed a lot of good shows because of it (laughs) yeah we 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 wrote original music which was awesome the writing of it was awesome. The music itself, I don't think was. I have a, I have an audio cassette of like a practice that we recorded. Like all the originals that we had, we, we recorded. My sister has, uh, had it and returned it to me like a decade ago. And I will not listen to it because I, I'm just embarrassed by the fact that it exists. And I'm afraid of what it'll do to me if I listen to it. Like I, just, I don't know if I can <laughs> look at that in the eye right now uh, or ever. But like we played shows out like we did the, you know, high school band, junior high band thing, like got on shows, moved, like played around a little bit. And what was what was pivotal for me is that in addition to having 
Well, I say what facilitated me being able to have this really formative experience of learning the dynamic of being in a band, of playing music with people, of writing material. So anyway, I'm not sure how my mom felt about it, but my dad dropped a few thousand dollars at the time, which was, you know, with inflation, um, a few thousand dollars is a few thousand dollars. He bought a PA system for me so that I could actually front this band and it ended up not only allowing me to do this, but also it's how I started booking shows because I had my own PA. So I could go into a random place and set up my own uh, vocal PA. And, you know, anyone who's played small scale shows, like you just play live out of your amps. You know, you're not worrying about mic anything and sending it through. Uh, a large public address system. You're just playing live from your amp. So, so that that decision by my dad to do that allowed me to do this band, which then sort of set me down this path of of playing heavy music and and participating in the scene, which I think on balance was a good thing for me. So that band, I think we swapped out bass players once. Uh, we s- started we started like trying to figure out where we fit. And like, I was wanting to become, I was wanting to join the hardcore scene more formally. And I got the sense very quickly, like after we started playing shows that were a little bit more hardcore adjacent, like we changed our name to foundation, which I think we're one of 10,000 heavy Hmm. bands Hmm. that have been called foundation over the years. We played a couple shows as foundation and, uh, we called the drummer at his house to talk about practice and the band was practicing. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) Uh, this is so teenage bands. (laughs) Yeah. So I think we were, I think we were in Maui surfing sport when it was on Broadwell Avenue and we borrowed the phone from whoever was working and we found out that the band was practicing without us because we'd been replaced. So, and we'd been replaced. It was like, it's such a weird thing, but basically we got replaced by two older guys that one of whom had been in a band called once again with Steve Jijinski and his brother. And we were, we were now out. So, I don't think that band lasted very long at all. And I think one of the right after that happened, I got a really weird message from I came home and my mom had like written a note because I was in high school and we just had landlines and I came home to a note and it was a phone number and it said, Ed Bond wants to talk about starting a band and Ed Bond played guitar and jackhammer, which I loved, but was older than me and cooler than me. And like not hardcore Jason, they were like a hardcore band with a legit record and that band had blown up. And so I called him and then quickly blown, realized, blown up meaning disbanded, not meaning disbanded, became yeah, super not popular. <laughs> yeah. Now they disbanded. And that band their... is, that band is now called fallout boy. Yeah. 
Yeah, so yeah, so they put out a record on initial, and I I loved it, uh, but I didn't know them. They were like older dudes, and they, um, and they had a song where they were apologizing to Split Lip for being jealous of them. Did they? <laughs> That's what. Yeah, again, the random things that you remember, right? But there's a, yeah. there was a song that it might have even been called like My Apology, but there was like a dramatic, and this is no disrespect to any of those guys because we're all fucking kids, but uh, but yeah, there was a. Was a split up apology. I also hear a little bit of shorthand that persists to this day uh, with Drew Pierce, close friend, old friend, friend of the show, <laughs> listener. We have a, okay. So you know, there's shorthand that exists among friends uh, in the in the burn it down world, which stretched back to the hardball, dead Disney, Southport High School, Beach Grove High School world. There's the word trust, which is a whole, we could do an episode. Oh, God. Of, we could do an episode yeah. about that. Uh, but there's a word that just works with Drew and I that I'm going to reveal here, which is bagels. Bagels is shorthand for something I've already told you, usually a story that I've already told you. And now, and now that there's an emoji of an actual <laughs> fucking bagel... Drew and I will text each other and say, like, hey, this might be bagel emoji. Yeah. But did I ever tell you about the time? Blah, 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 blah. And that goes back to John Baker, singer of the band Jackhammer that we're talking about. A.K.A. The Punisher. A.K.A. The Punisher. Uh, nicknamed The Punisher by Dwid Hellion for anyone who's hardcore adjacent that's listening <laughs> and is super fucking bummed out by how inside Indiana this is. He had a sweet side by side tattoo on his chest, didn't he? Yes, which was which uh, had three X's on it, and then when he sold out Straight Edge, was covered by a Medusa head. Ooh. So, John Baker, singer of Jackhammer, brother of Mark Baker, uh, who once jammed with Hardball and was so turned off by it for whatever reason, I believe made up a story about being grounded by his parents and couldn't come <laughs> to another practice. Um, <laughs> what, other, what other band was he in? Uh, oh, Tanner Boyle, maybe? Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember he worked at Kinko's, as did a lot of people, and yeah. helped me uh, publish some fanzines. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll talk about that fanzine later. Oh my gosh, yeah. Well, which one? Uh, so, John Baker was working at a bagel shop, post-Jackhammer, post-hardcore for him, in Bloomington, Indiana, where for some reason I was, and I walked in, and... He handed me my bagels and said, okay, man, see you later. And I didn't realize that he was giving me the bagels for free because I just wasn't accustomed to that sort of thing. Yeah. And I was just like, cool. Uh, uh, I haven't paid yet. Like, how much do I owe you? And he goes, see you later. And basically the story was he said, see you later to me like five times before I realized <laughs> you, yeah, what was happening. Was and walked out with my uh, free bagels, unexpectedly free bagels. So apparently, it, I mean, this was like this is like 1994 or something. It was a long time ago. Apparently, I told Drew this story more than once. <laughs> and now, for the last you know 25 years, bagels is shorthand between Drew and I for story that I've told you before. That's perfect. So we to this day, I mean, if I look through our our text log, there's so many instances of one of us saying to the other this might be bagel emoji but blah 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 oftentimes it's not off and then the response is usually no man that's not bagel emoji <laughs> you've actually never told me that before 
So I don't know this how the is, fuck this I got is on definitely bagels. not oh. bagel. Jackhammer. That's why how we got on it. Yeah. Yes. So, John, so this is definitely not that's, bagel. That's the, that's the role that John Baker, unbeknownst to him, <laughs> has played in the friendship of Drew Pierce and Ryan Downey for like twenty five years. I don't I, think I don't I'm think sure. I've seen or talked to John Baker since then. <laughs> yeah. Does is is any are any of your text bros still in contact with him? Maybe they can forward him this episode. <laughs> that's a good question. I'll find out. So I had a mortifying moment where I call Ed who was like this older, cooler dude in a legit band or had been in a legit band. And I'm like, I'm relaying the message I got back to him. And he's just like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I was like, Oh, I got punked. I think by these people who used to be my friends and then kicked oh, me out of their band. Oh Gosh, what a bummer. I just side sidelined us with a fun story, not knowing this was such a bummer. Story. <laughs> no, it's fine. Well, fast forward for me, 25 years and Ed and his wife run a kombucha business in the building where we have our shop. Like I see him almost every day <laughs> in his commercial kitchen behind us making kombucha. But you know, it's weird how where you, life takes can, you. Can you ask him if kombucha is straight edge? Because I've seen that debated. I can ask, but he might just stare at me <laughs> blindly. Like, like wrong fucking question. I, I don't care. Um but he may he may be so passionate about kombucha that he'll answer thoughtfully. I mean, you know, uh, as, has the Edge Council ruled on CBD or kombucha? I wish they I, would. I, lo- I love that I'm asking you, and then I'm asking you to ask Ed fucking Bond. <laughs> it would it would give me so much. Yeah, just just be thankful. Just be thankful that I haven't weighed in on the environmental benefits of grass fed beef over Impossible Burgers and Beyond Meat. <laughs> Ooh. But that's a different conversation. Um, Never mind the fact that Impossible Burgers and and Beyond Meat aren't like people forget. Like you shouldn't eat a fucking hamburger every day, regardless of what yeah, it's made out of. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah. Eat, eat twelve ounces of uh, commercially produced grain with, <laughs> with sodium in it. Yeah. Yeah. Not a good idea. So. So yeah, so basically that's that's the story of of my my little band uh, transitioning from being a long hair with what I've learned since is called an undercut, where you have long hair on top and then the sides are shaved. Yeah, that's, um, that's fancy now. Yeah, I we called it a chili pepper mousse. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was definitely the Indiana. Uh, who's got the pepper? I remember that being said a lot when someone would walk by with one of those. Yeah. yeah. So that yeah, I think that the was chili mousse because it was like the chili pepper combined with the Larry Lamousse, which was the yeah, which was our, the early you know our local slang when subculture for the mullet. Yeah, and prior I don't, to anyone calling it the mullet, like we were already hip to the fact that that haircut was fucking dumb, and we, I had, feel a, like, and we had a name for it. I feel like we need to do an investigation, like investigative episode unearthing the origins of the word Larmoose. Was Larry Lamoose an actual person? I can't remember, but I've asked almost every hairstylist I've ever had, I've asked them if they've ever heard of a Larmoose. <laughs> <laughs> Just to see what their response is. And no one has ever uh, replied in the affirmative that a mullet is also known as a Larmoose. Yeah, my, Indiana, anyway. my Indiana chat appears to be asleep right now because no one's answering me. <laughs> because otherwise I would ask them because one of them will know. Reese will know the origin of Larry Lamus. So yeah, so I that's that's the 
the maybe uninteresting story of how I transitioned from being a, a chili pepper moose uh, Hesher kid to transitioning fully into hardcore. And then, yeah, the next band I was in was Birthright. So, like, I spent the next couple – I'd been playing bass for, like, I don't know, Shits and Giggles. And the next band that I was in was was that band. So, yeah, there was we call, a – We called to talk about practice, and they were having practice without us. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty good. Maybe maybe that's the uh, maybe that's the the name of the podcast. Uh, so yeah, that's that's my my somewhat embarrassing tale of how I got into playing music. Hey, and, uh, your tale is pretty rad because first of all, your very beginning bands played shows, and not only that, but played with the fucking Chromags. I mean, who cares how the show my, turned out? My played with the Chromags with Mackie and and John Joseph, mind you, like a a decent yeah. Chromags version. Yeah, it, that's sort of weird when I look back on it. But my my first band also played shows with people that I would be in bands with in the future who I found out later like openly mocked me and my band, which was totally the culture of that yeah. era. Like, yeah, and if, if, if anything, it was a mark of distinction that you had now graduated into the group that, that could mock other kids. You know, yeah, yeah, and I think that's like what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, which is like once I figured out that I was on the inside, that's when I became really vicious because I was like, oh fuck yeah, like now, now it's my I, turn. When's it gonna yeah, be my yeah, turn? Yeah. yeah, now now this is mine, and I can defend it jealously. In our next episode, I'll tell the story behind my first band. No, not that one. Not that one either. Before those. <laughs>